And that's all we're going to do this morning. I want to talk to you this morning about these words from a man called Cornelius. He was uh, praying and he was uh, talking. He says, words that will save your household. Words that will save your household. We're going to meet a man today that, according to the world, was a good man. A good man. And we're going to see today why good people need to be saved. We see so many good people in the world, don't we? They will give all things away. People say, that's a good man, that's a good woman. But I'll tell you one thing this morning. Good men and women need the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to be saved. Nothing that you do will give you any right to enter the kingdom of God or to enter heaven. Amen. So we're in the book of Acts, as you remember, and we're following through. We see the biggest movement that this world has ever seen, and that is the church of Christ. When Jesus came and He established the church. And in the book of Acts, we walk. We walk with the Holy Spirit. We walk with the apostles. As this is now spreading out, let's, let it be known that nobody can stop the gospel of Christ. Nobody can. Over the ages, over the years, so many people tried to do that. So, so many people said Christianity will die. It will not die. It cannot die. Because Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that is true. I believe it as much as I'm standing in front of you. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church of Christ. He is the one who will bring us out. Amen? So this morning we see how this is now spreading on. And I want to remind you about the key verse in the book of Acts. Everybody knows this verse. If you've been listening over the last few years, nearly the whole year, you would know that this verse is one of the most important verses in this book. It's in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. It's Jesus' own words. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So many people, Christians today, operate without the power of God. They operate on their own willpower. I will to do this. I'm going to try my best to be a good Christian. I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to stop doing that. I'm going to live by laws. I'm going to live by rules. And it comes to nothing. There's a sermon that I've preached. Willpower versus God's power. Go and listen to it. It's online. I don't want to re-preach that sermon. But it is, as it was said to Zerubbabel, it's not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So if you are sitting here this morning and you say, Preacher, what are you talking about? This is the whole, the whole, the whole emphasis of the, the book of Acts is the power of God, which is through the Holy Spirit. And by the way, for those who do not know, the Holy Spirit is not just a, a wind. The Holy Spirit is a person. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. If you don't know Him, you need to start learning about Him. Learn and know the Holy Spirit. The Bible says He lives in us and He's with us. Why is He in us and with us? To strengthen you. The very word that's used for Him in, in Greek is the word parakletos, which means He comes alongside you and He strengthens you. But one more, He comes inside you and He lives with you. To do what? My brother said it at the table. He convicts you first of all of your sin. And then of judgment. 
Because we are serving a just God. Let it be known. God is a just God. You will not get into heaven until your sins are judged. And He's the only one who, will, who took the cup of wrath, which is meant for you and for me. He's the only one who could take it and said, Father, not my will be done, but your will be done. And He took the cup of wrath to the cross. And He died for you and for me. So that you and I don't have to drink from that cup. But would you believe there are still so many people, even in the church, who still want to drink of that cup? I will do it on my way, they say. I know better than God, they say. God, I will serve you, but on my terms, they say. Your terms is no terms at all. It's only God's terms. You will receive power, the Bible says, when the Spirit comes upon you. The word is dunamis, which means dynamite, which means dynamo. You know all of this. I'm just revising you. You should know this if you've been here for a while. But dynamite is boom. It's an explosion. And we see this happened on the day of Pentecost, didn't we? What, what happened on the day of Pentecost? Boom! Explosion. Dynamite. So, so many churches are still chasing that dynamite today. You get churches, they will darken the whole church and get an atmosphere, and then they will jump and hide people up to try to revisit the type of dynamite which happened on the day of Pentecost. You cannot copycat the Spirit of God. You cannot copycat. So, yeah, there was an explosion, but there's also another word that comes out of dynamo. Uh, dunamis, and that's the word dynamo, which means you keep on going on. You keep on going on. When it gets tough, you keep on going on. When people say, stop preaching it, Peter and John, they keep on preaching. When people say, I'm going to beat you, Paul, with sticks and I'm going to throw you with stones, keep on preaching it on. When Stephen was there and he said to these people, he says, this is the last time because you are stiff-necked people, you resist the Holy Spirit, what happened? They got so angry, so angry. They pick up stones and they killed him. And what did he say? He said, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And you should shout hallelujah because he's also there for you. Dynamo. Keep on going on. Oh, but we're going to legislate now in Victoria that you cannot say this and you cannot do that. But I'm going to keep on going on. Hallelujah. You're going to lose your job and your money and your status, but I'm going to keep on going on. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm going to keep on going on. That's what dynamo is. You see, the people who stop, the people who say, no, no, that's a big price to bear, they haven't got the Holy Spirit. They haven't got the dynamis power. This is not fancy stuff, by the way. The Holy Spirit is not fancy stuff. The Holy Spirit is the power of God and to salvation through the gospel. If you read right through the book of Acts, this is why I love it. The book of, if you read right through the book of Acts, every single miracle, every single sermon is saturated with the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, you cannot do what these men do in the book of Acts. I don't know why I started that way, but you need to hear about the Holy Spirit. So, he says you will receive this power when the Holy Spirit comes over you. And you will be my witnesses. Everybody say martyr. What is a martyr? 
is somebody who dies for a cause. He says to them, I'm going to give you power, but you're going to die. <laughs> Hallelujah. Oh, but that's not, a good, that, that's not a good exchange, is it? Yes, it is. Because you and I, if we die, we live. Yes? <laughs> Praise the Lord, Barbara. And here is the thing, you know, the Holy Spirit, what happens? When it comes, it makes you a martyr for Him. He gives you the power to be able to die. That is witnesses. He says, you're going to be sent into this world, they're going to hate you. Who knows today that the world hate Christians, the children of God? If you don't know it, I don't know where you're living, you need to wake up. The coffee is cold. The world will hate you. Because you're a child of God. The Bible says there's two things that they will hate you. For the testimony of Jesus Christ and the word of God. Those are the two things that Satan came into the garden of Eden. And he wanted to change that. So I'll hurry on because this is only the intro and I've got much to say. And then we saw that they will be witnesses in Jerusalem. We saw how they started teaching the Jews and preaching to them. Did the Jews like that? No, they caught them. They caught him. They said, you better stop preaching in the name of Jesus. But they continued going on. Come on, say it. They continue going on. Stop doing that. We're going to hit you. They continue going on. And that is because of the Holy Spirit. And then they went into all of Judea. We saw what happened to Stephen. We saw Samaria a few weeks ago where Philip started preaching to the Jews. And, and we saw that the Samarians were mixed blood. So the Jews hated them. They didn't like them because it's mixed blood. But uh, uh, what, what Philip did is he only followed. He followed his master, Jesus' footsteps. Because in John chapter 4, Jesus went. The Bible says he, he, he wanted to go through Samaria. His disciples says, why do you go through Samaria? Go around it. We don't like those people. But you see, when you come as a child of God, there's nothing like we don't like those people. Have you noticed? Doesn't matter where you come from, Africa, India, South Africa, Kiwi land, Aussie, doesn't matter where you come from. It's not about liking people. We go because we've got a message, the gospel of Christ. So he follows him there. We saw the Enoch, but now today we come to the ends of the earth. Well, it's a fascinating passage we're going to deal with today. It's a wonderful passage. But I want to take you to Matthew Chapter 16, verse 19. Because Jesus says here these words, a very controversial passage for a lot of people. You remember when Peter came to Jesus and Jesus says, Who does the, pe the people say who I am? And my brother preached such two very good sermons, Brother Oral preached on this topic. Who does the people say I am? And Peter said, You are the Christ, the Son of God. Yes, you are the Christ. And then what happens? Jesus said, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. People get so confused with it, especially the Roman Catholic Church. They go, there, there's the first Pope, because, you know, there's Jesus saying, I'm going to build on you this church, Peter. No, no, if you look in Greek at the words, it says that Peter was Petros, a small little pebble, but on this rock, Petra, a big rock, Jesus Christ, I will build my church. That's just an extra for those who wanted to have that. But this is the verse I wanted to get to. Matthew 16, 19. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, Peter. And whatever you bind on the earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you lose on the earth will be loosed in heaven. 
so many false teachings about this verse. You know, there's ministries out there that says you can bind and lose. Have you heard about those ministries? Binding and loosing. But they don't read it in context. What is this verse saying? What is these keys saying? And again, I've preached on the keys. Go and search it on, on, online. You will find very good teachings around keys. Keys gives you authority. Keys open up a door. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind. You see, the keys of the kingdom of heaven, Peter was giving the privilege of opening the door of faith. That's the keys. The keys he's talking about there is the preaching of the gospel. And now I'm going to bring it to you to, to show and prove this to you. Because Peter was involved on the day of Pentecost. Who preached the first sermon? Peter. What did he preach to? Whom did he preach to? To the Jews. And what did he have? He had the gospel. The gospel opens up the door of faith. The gospel. You can't come to Jesus without the gospel. You, you can't come to God without the gospel. Jesus says, I am the what? The way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Everybody say no one. No one. What does it mean? No one. No one. Then I've heard, you know, there's this lady there in America, Oprah. She said, there's many roads that lead to Rome, many faiths that can take you there. Well, she's wrong, okay? I don't get as much money as she does. I'm not as clever as she is, but I can say this. She's wrong. There's only one way to the Father, and here is the key to, to the kingdom of heaven. It's the gospel of Christ. In, in Samaria, you remember in Samaria, Acts chapter 8, Philip went there and he preached. You remember that? And there was that sorcerer there, Simon. And who did they send there? Peter. And Peter went there to Samaria and he preached the what? The gospel. It's the keys of heaven. You see, he opened up the door of faith. And now we're going to find in Acts chapter 10. Who's again asked to go to Cornelius? Peter. So the word is right. Jesus was right. The keys of the king of heaven was given to Peter. And this is the last time that we will see Peter use that key. After this now, in the transitional book of Acts, we're going to see it goes over to who? Paul. Paul. And we will see that transition. And we will see how the message changed, but it's the same. But I want to show you something here out of Genesis before we get to Acts chapter 10. It's a long intro, isn't it? Amen. Have you already learned something in the intro? Now look at this. In Genesis chapter 9 verse 25, I find a very interesting passage. You know what happened at this point in time? Noah came out of the ark. And he had three sons. Sem, Ham, and Japheth. Yes? And these three sons came out of him. By the way, all of nations came from those three. All. We've got one father. Noah. Yes? Doesn't matter who you are today. Doesn't matter which continent you come today from. South African. We've got one place where we come. All nations on the earth today come from this. If you want to see where the nations come from, go and read Genesis chapter 9. So we are all connected, aren't we? We are all those racists. They could be here today. They wouldn't like me, you know. They would stone me for that. But I will continue. Come on, you know it. Continue going on because we've got dunamis. 
But here it says here in Genesis 9 verse 25, we, we know that happened, that he planted a vineyard, this is Noah, and then he got so drunk he fell on, and then uh, um, uh, um, uh, Ham, Ham went in and he did something. I'm not going to get into that. I haven't got time to go into all of that detail. But then the other two sons went backwards. They covered their father's nakedness. And then when he woke up, he says these fascinating words. I don't know about you, but I love the word of God because it's so fascinating. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The gospel is concealed in the Old Testament. If you read the Old Testament, listen to me this morning. All of the feasts, every single thing, the substance of all, they are all shadow. The substance is Jesus Christ, okay? And here we find it now in verse 25. Noah then said, cursed be Canaan. Canaan is the son of Ham. He said, cursed be Canaan. A servant of servants shall he be to his brethren. And he said, blessed be the Lord, title, the Lord God of Shem. And may Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Yapeth. You see Yapeth there? And may he dwell in the tents of Shem. He will dwell in the tents of Shem. And may Canaan be his servant. Brothers and sisters, if you haven't seen this before, this is a prophecy of the church that you are sitting in today. This was a prophecy. Because we are all there. We are all there. First of all, I need to tell you that we are meeting one of Yaapov's grandsons here today in Cornelius. And here today, sitting in this room, is all the grandchildren of Yaapov. It's all of you. Is there any Jew in here? Is there anybody who's got Jewish blood here today? No, no. Then you are all the grandchildren of Yaapov. Say, what? Yes, because you see, this is a beautiful prophecy. If you look at these people here, you know, Shem was the great-grandfather of Terah. Who's Terah? The father of Abraham. That's Shem. And who came out of Abraham? The twelve nations, who became the twelve tribes, who became the nation that God chose. So these are the Jews. And he says it right there. He said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. The Lord titled the God of Shem, the Jews. God chose that nation. That is them. Then he talks about Canaan. Canaan was the son of Ham. And we know that these were the people because after Canaan came Nimrod. And Nimrod built Babel. We all know what happened at Babel, didn't we? Not only that, but the people of Canaan also built Nineveh. You remember Nineveh? So these are all those people. It's in the Arab world right now, which is these people over here. But here is the most exciting part for me today. And he says, may God enlarge Yaapif. These are the Gentiles. This is not the chosen nation. This is the chosen nation. Shem is the chosen nation, the, the Lord, the God of Shem. And what does he say about Yapeth? He says, Yapeth may be dwell in the tents of Shem. If you turn in your Bible to the book of Romans, it says that we are grafted into the olive tree. Who? We. The Gentiles. 
I want you to see this. Because when we're going to turn now to Cornelius, it wasn't an afterthought by God. It wasn't an afterthought. It's not as if God said, Oh, what am I going to do with this group of people? No, no. We were written in blood in the plans of God. Come on, shout hallelujah. Let's give the Lord a hand to that. Hallelujah. Why are you getting so excited, preacher? Because of that. Because of that. I've got faith for tomorrow and hope for tomorrow. I don't have to become a Jew to meet the God of the Jews. I have already met Him. I'm dwelling in the things. I'm dwelling, listen, listen to me. I'm dwelling in the things of Ham. And it's a wonderful place to be. Shame. Thank you. I'll just check if you are. <laughs> so now, now let me turn with you to Colossians, okay? Because I want to bring you to the New Testament, as my brother said. Yes, you can, Barbara. So Colossians chapter 1 verse 24, we find now Paul, he writes here, he says, Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh, and I'm willing, uh, filling up what is lacking in Christ, affliction for the sake of his body. That is the church. Everybody say church. Are we sitting in the church? Is he talking to us? Yes, he says, he says, I am doing this for the church, of which became a minister according to the stewardship of God that I was given to me for you to make the word of God fully now. Now listen to this. He says in verse 26, the mystery hidden for ages. So what we've got here today, the church was a mystery hidden for ages and generations. But, sharp contrast, now revealed to his saints. Will all the saints put up their hands? If you know the teaching, we are saints. Yes, now he says, for all of these ages, from Genesis, from here, these people didn't know what he was talking about. We are so privileged today. We sit in the New Testament in 2022. And now he says, what these guys saw as a mystery, it's hidden for the ages and generations, is revealed to us. Wow, how privileged are we? How privileged are you today? You know these secrets now. And he says, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. What's he talking about? The church. He says, let me read it to you again. Don't, don't get in a hurry. He says, great amongst the Gentiles, great amongst Yapeth, great amongst the Gentiles are the riches of the glory. Hallelujah. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 1, Paul comes around and he says, I greet you with the blessings, heavenly blessings. He says, the riches of the glory of this mystery which Christ in you the hope of glory. You know what? We say that we are living in the tents of Shem. I've got that right. Shem. But you know what's happening? There's a turn on this. Now the God of Shem is living in you, which is the hope of glory. Wow. I don't know if I'm going to get to Cornelius today, and I may not. <laughs> hey, Lincoln, think of this. 
Here we are so privileged to enter into the tents of Shem, to have the benefits of the God of Shem. And he says, no, no, no. Because if I enter and I visit you at your home, at some stage I need to go home to my own home, don't I? I need to leave your tents, to go to my tent back again. Isn't it right? But Marjolene, if he comes, and he lives in you, I ain't going home. He's with me. Yes. I wonder if you understand what I just said. Christ in you. Nothing new. It's just a mystery for a lot of people. Still try to work it out. But this is so wonderful, the church. This is where we're going. Now, before we get to Cornelius, one more thing, okay? I hope you understand where this is going. The world is so caught up in miracles, isn't it? We can do a miracle here. You bring a paralyzed man in here, we put him down here, I pray over this man, he gets healed. Everybody will go, whoa, bring the next miracle, bring the next miracle. The world is so caught up about it. And I find it very fascinating when I follow through the book of Acts, the, the order in which things happen. Have you noticed? If we go back a few weeks ago when I preached, we found that when Peter came around, there was a paralyzed man in Acts chapter 9, verse 32. And what did Peter do? He healed him. Is that right? He says, take up your bed and walk. And the man stood up, strength came into his head. If that happens today, people will go, wow, that's great. And you know what they say, let's have you know, healing services. Let's have healing services. God is not calling you for healing services. He's calling you to preach the gospel. Because here he goes. Follow me now, okay? I'm not saying, I'm again not saying, I'm all miracles and God still heal people. But he can heal a, peop, a person and that person can still go to hell. Follow. And the next thing that happened is, in fact, Dorcas. You remember Dorcas in, in, the, in Acts chapter 9, the last part of Acts chapter 9? What happened? This girl was dead. She was really physically, I mean, she would have belonged in this place. Okay? So she's dead he comes in, and they say, oh, she's dead. Look at all of the wonderful things he's done. He walks into the room, put them aside, did exactly what Jesus did, and he made this girl rise from the dead. What will happen if, if there's a dead body here in this place, and we pray over that dead body, and he comes alive? I'll tell you what happened. Next week, all of the news programs will be outside. You won't find a seat here sitting here. Whoa, somebody was raised from the dead. And what will happen? People will start bringing all those coffins on so that you can just pray over them to be raised from the dead. Is that a big miracle? I must admit. It's a massive miracle. But look at this now. We come to Cornelius in chapter 10. And one of the biggest miracles happens. One of the biggest even bigger than a paralyzed man, bigger than a physical resurrection from the dead. What? When a spiritual man becomes alive. Let it be known that everybody sitting here in this room, doesn't matter what you say, how you believe or anything, but you were born spiritually dead. The Bible declares that. The Bible says that. I don't have to prove it. The Bible says, David, David, the man after God's own heart, he says, as soon as we are born, we're going astray speaking lies. 
We're all born in that sinful nature. Acts chapter 2 verse 1, he says, You who were once dead, he made alive. Dead in what? In your trespasses and sins. So we're going to see now one of the biggest miracles playing off in front of our eyes. And now we come to Cornelius. How much time have I got? Praise the Lord. Let's go through this. Acts chapter 10 verse 1. Amen. Have you enjoyed the intro? I hope you haven't got cooking in the oven. Here we go. Acts chapter 10 verse 1. He says, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known in the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all of his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. We are introduced now to this man. He's a devout man. He feared God. He gave alms generously. He prayed continually. Let me just say, brothers and sisters, if I look at this man today, and I look at some people in the church today, this centurion will shame a lot of church-going Christians. And he's not saved at this point in time. Let me just mention it to you. All of these works that he's doing is so nice. It's so beautiful. You know, devout. He's so pious. He's so religious. I see a lot of people who come to church because just it is church. They haven't got the reference of God when they walk into the midst of the children of God. I see it in churches. I see the funny things that is happening on the TV screens when you connect into these churches. There is no reference. There's no piousness there. It is just, you know, God is my mate. He's my pal. He's a part of my posse. No, no, that's not who God is. This man didn't see God like that. He's not part of your posse. He's not a pal of yours. He's God. This man was so devout. He came every time to God with reference. The Bible says he feared God. And, I, and I'm reminded when Paul walked there in Athens, you remember, he saw all of these gods, Mercury, Zeus, all of them. They feared the gods, the Romans. But then they thought, we miss one God. There's one God we are missing. And, and right at the end, and I, it must have been really impressive walking down those streets. You know, I, I love going to Europe, and I've been in Europe in a few places, and, uh, and you walk, and you see all of this stuff that man has built, and it looks so, so huge and so beautiful. I've been in Rome, in a few of those places, and you look at these statues that they've built, and you go, wow, this is, this is so overwhelming. Paul must have been the same. You see all of these statues, and if you walk past the statue, they are fearful of these gods. This was a Roman soldier. He knew power. And there, right at the end, I can imagine, there's only a small little plaque. And they say to the unknown God, the God that we don't know. They fear all of these gods so much. And then they just put a plague down here. I'll tell you, brothers and sisters, I fear the unknown God. With a reference. They should fear that unknown God more than all of these false gods that's over there. So this man feared God, it says. He gave alms generously, not, not a little bit. He, he really gave it out. And he prayed continually to God. Let it be known of a centurion. He was in charge of a hundred men. Centurions had to be brave. They, they had to be very courageous. So this is not just a, a man. This is a man who was upheld in society. 
If you think about having a hundred men that you're responsible for, and you need to be the last man standing, this is where this man comes from. He's a man of integrity in, in, his, in his groups. You know, no doubt this man has seen people die. No doubt he had a few of his soldiers who he was very well connected with die. This man has seen everything in life. And instead of becoming hard and hardened, he turned to a God that he doesn't know. He turned to the unknown God. I wonder who you are turning to today. Do you know him? Do you know the God of that plague, the unknown God? How well do you know him today? This man, you know, he wouldn't even come to this church because he wasn't a Christian at this point in time. But he, he prayed to that God and he held on to that God. And like I say, I, I look at sometimes Christians and I think this man at this point in time will shame a lot of them. In verse 3, he says, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly a vision, an angel of God come and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers <coughs> and your arms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He's lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. I, I find it fascinating here. You see, here is this man, he doesn't know this God yet. He prayed to him. He's given everything over to him, and now he says there, he says, the angel appeared to him. Never before has this happened to him. And then he says, your prayers has been answered, ascend. And, and he came before God. I wonder what he prayed. Do you... Do you know what he prayed? What was his prayer? He says he prayed continually. That means every day. Cry out to God. He didn't know this God, but what did he pray? We get, we get an answer of what he's praying, and it's our theme today. In Acts chapter 11, verse 13, we find what he prayed. Listen to this. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in the house who said to him, send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you the words by which you and your household will be saved. So what was, what was Cornelius praying for? Salvation. Lord, save my family. Lord, save. They had servants. Lord, save my soldiers. That's his prayer. Every day. I started praying for my family when the Lord saved my son. I'm still praying. We were nine children. My brother's already passed on. Eight children left. I pray, Lord, save my family. I save, I pray for my children. I said, I've got five children. I've got five beautiful children, four grandchildren. I pray every day, Lord, save my children. Lord, I've got four grandchildren. They're growing up in a world, you know how this world is going. Lord, save my children. That's my prayer. Is it your prayer? You see, here is a man who's got everything. He's a man of stature. Everybody looks up at him. He's a leader. He's not full of himself. 
saying, Lord, give me a better life, your best life now. He's not that. Every single day, Lord, save my family. He gives alms generously. Lord, save my family. I fear the God of the Jews. Lord, save my family. Every single day the prayer goes out before God. And what does the angel say to him? Your prayer has become as a memorial before the Lord. A memorial. What is a memorial? It's come up before the Lord. What are you praying for? Oh Lord, I don't like this governor, I, or governor, this, this premier. Oh Lord, I don't like this pain upon me. I don't like this person at work, Lord. No, no, pray for the gospel. Pray for souls. That's what I'm saying today. Let me just say it today. The time of wasting time is gone. The coming of the Lord is at hand. This man prayed, Lord, save my family. Save my children. The Bible says, in fact, I think I've missed it there. He says, and his whole household... His whole household feared the Lord. What a man. What a man that they look upon him. Cornelius, you are the leader. You fear God. We fear God. He's a true leader. He's a true leader, but he's lost. If he would have died, he would have gone to hell at that point in time. Because he needed, he needed to meet the Savior. Let it be known today that all your good works means nothing. The Bible says your best works are like filthy rags before God. Filthy rags. Not only rags, filthy rags before God. But praise the Lord when we come to Him. What does He give us? A rope of righteousness. <coughs> Verse 7, when the angel who spoke to him departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier. You see... His servants, he says to two servants, and a soldier. Why the soldier? Because he needed to protect him on the way to go and find this man. Among those who attended him and having related to uh, everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Let me just go back quickly because I'm, I, 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 must, I must say this. Who appeared to him? Who appeared to him? And an angel. An angel of God came to Cornelius. And he says, Cornelius, your prayers has been answered. It can be a memorial. Now, send men to Joppa to bring Simon Peter to you. He's living with this man. Now, my question would be, why didn't the angel just preach to him the gospel? That would be fair, isn't it? Praise the Lord, brother. This is not a message from the angels. Let it just be known that when God dealt with the angels, He dealt with them, and a third of them were cast out on the earth, and that's set in stone. It's not as if an angel can come to repentance. I will challenge you on that. When God threw out Satan, it's not as if Satan will turn around and repent and come to God. He's got a place where he's going. It's the lake of fire forever. And the third of the angels who's now demons operating on this world will go with him. It's not as if one of those angels turn up now and go, Oh, I repent. No, no, there's no repentance for them. Repentance is for the children of God. It's for you and for me. Now, if the angels could have pre preached the gospel, we would have saved so many missionaries, wouldn't we? 
All those missionaries who went to Africa, went to Asia, all those places, and they died for the gospel. If an angel, and there is coming a time, by the way, if you read in the book of Revelation, that angels will preach the gospel, but it's different circumstances, not now. So, whose work is it to preach the gospel? Mina Capelle. Dua Capelle. Yeah? It's my work, Mina Capelle. It's your work. Peter, you need to come. And it's fascinating when we look at Peter. You know, this is amazing. This is a Jew, okay? And he's living with a tanner. Do you know what a tanner is? A tanner touches dead animals to make skins and all of those things. Jews were not supposed to mix with them because they are unclean. But the Lord is already working. He's already working on Peter's heart. You know, you and I need the Lord to work on our hearts, doesn't he? And it happens gradually sometimes. Let me hurry up and finish today. I'm going to finish with Peter. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and he says, go to Joppa. Now we find Peter. See how wonderful God works. He works with a vision with Cornelius. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter now went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being laid down by its four corners upon the earth. And it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And, they were, uh, and there came a voice to him and he said to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. You are hungry. Here is some food. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not go common. This happened how many times? Three times. And the thing was taken up at once into heaven. Oh, I love Peter with his trees, don't we? Peter, you're going to deny me. Never, Lord. And how many times did the rooster crow? Three times. Peter, you're going to deny me. You remember when Jesus came to Peter and says, Peter, Peter, do you love me? What do you say? He says, yes, Lord, I love you. Hey, Peter, do you agape me? Yes, Lord, I filio you. Okay, Peter. Feed my lambs. Hey, Peter, do you agape me? Yes, Lord, I filio you. By the way, I'm just putting in the Greek names, okay, for the word love there. Tend to my sheep. Hey, Peter, third time, do you filio me? The penny drop. Boom. Oh, you got me, Lord. I get what you say. Yes, Lord, I filio you. Feed my sheep. Three times, Peter. Here again. The Lord says to him three times, Peter, take and eat. He goes, no, no, this stuff is unclean. I'm not going to touch it. I'm going to eat that stuff in there. But the Lord said to him, but I've already made it clean. And yet there are still people today who hold on to the stuff. That stuff that you eat will defile you. And they've got a list of stuff that you and I can't eat. It's at this point in time that I may offend a lot of people, but I'm just going to say it. In fact, let me not say it. Let Jesus say it. So if you're offended, let him say it. Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. 
Verse 10. And I haven't got it up there. Jesse just came. I, I, I think I, I, I just want to pass this one over to, to the Lord to, to talk to you. When he had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear and understand, not that goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth defiles a man. Who said that? But pastor, you said it. No, I just read the word. Now, to whom was he saying this? Listen now. It's not what goes into, the, into you that defiles you. Then, Peter, yes, your man, Peter, answered and said to him, Lord, explain this parable to us, because we don't understand what you're saying. Come on, Peter. Let me explain it to you. So Jesus said, are you still without understanding? Are you still? He says then to him, Do you not yet understand that whatever enters into the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? I don't have to be graphic about that. I think everybody in this place knows what Jesus is saying there. What goes into this body comes out. Okay? It does not defile you. But those things which proceed out of the mouth comes from the heart and that defiles a man. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, theft, false witness, blasphemies. These are all things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. Now, you say, but he's talking about unwashed hands here. Yes, I get that. But here now we find a voice that came from heaven. Isn't it right? So if this voice came from heaven, who was that? Who was talking to him when this voice came from heaven? And something great to descend from the animals, and there came a voice to him saying, Rise, Peter, who do you think said, talk to him here? It's the Lord. Because he says, By no means, Lord, for I've never eaten the stuff. And, and the Lord says, What God has made clean, do not call common. Now, I don't want to read meaning into the text here, because he's preparing him to go to a Gentile. I get that. But why would he use the food? He's living with a tanner already, isn't he? He's living with a tanner which is unclean. Now the Lord gives him unclean food and he says, it is clean. He says, don't call it common. I just want to release for some people who, who are still under the law saying, you're not allowed to eat this, you're not allowed to eat that, you're not allowed to eat that. Because of that. The Bible says that Jesus came and he fulfilled the law. I'll leave it there. Verse 17. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed, he was so dumbfounded by this, as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon was, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, Still thinking about these animals in there. The Lord said, eat them. The Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go, accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? Why are you here? What are you, what's going on here? Now, I want you to see what these people say about Cornelius. And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation was directed by a holy angel. Wow, what a man that the people see him in this esteem. 
um, they, they sent by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. Oh, that is so good. So he invited them into the guest. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. I will stop there today, but I want to say this. It is so wonderful to see. Yuri is a man, and I say again, this centurion make a lot of Christian church-going Christians shame them. This is what people say about him. A centurion. This man had power. He's brave. He's courageous. But he was upright. This is how the people knew this man. Brothers and sisters, the world is sick and tired for looking at people who are not upright. The world is looking for upright people. He's a God-fearing man. The world is looking for God-fearing people. The whole nation of the Jews, the Jews, they speak well of this man. And let it be known, the Jews didn't like the Romans. But they speak well of this man. Brings me to a verse which I think of when Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, Let your light shine so before men that they may see your good works and glorify the Father in heaven. Yes, I mean, at your workplace, you sit here today and you all look beautiful and you smell beautiful. And you come in and we're going to have coffee and we're going to high-five and celebrate and talk and so on. And you're going to smile. And you're going to be nice to me, I hope so. My question is, if I go and ask your wife and your children, how's daddy and mommy when things are not right? What are they going to say? Oh, daddy just loses it sometimes. When daddy loses it, we sort of go hide a bit. Or mommy loses it. Oh man, if mommy loses it, my ear, it really hurts my ears when mommy loses it. You can either say amen or ouch. I was going to say ena, which is ouch for Afrikaans for ouch. What if I go to your workplace and I walk in there and I say, hey guys, you know, this Brian, this guy's in your church, he's such a well-standing man in the church, you know, he's giving arms away, he's doing it. What would your workmates say about you when they say, when they don't go and get stuff, you should hear what comes out of his mouth. And it's certainly not hallelujah and amen. when I started preaching this and when I came to this point I said Lord I need to look at myself first I'm not perfect I get frustrated sometimes but I keep on going back to Jesus you see this man here this is what they say of him the whole Jewish nation he's a God fearing man what if I bring to you Philippians chapter 1 verse 27 he says only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ can I ask you that question this morning? Is your conduct worthy of the gospel of Christ? Is it so that when you come to your family members and you say, Oh, the Lord saved me and He gave me this, and they say, mm, What you say and what you do is not the same. And who's the first people who call you a hypocrite? And you want to know why? Because they know your history. That's why. And because they know your history, they will, they will, listen to me, they will judge you on your history. Look, look, give me five minutes. This is the important part of this. I mean, you, the Holy Spirit needs to work with our hearts now, okay? I was going to do it anyway, but listen to me. 
Because they know your history, they're going to judge you on your history. This is why you need to let the light of Christ shine you in a different light than your history. This is why you need to say, the things I used to do, I do them no more. I'm a new creation. I'm a brand new man. Now listen to me very carefully here, brothers and sisters. You will not be able to do it in your own willpower. You will not. The Lord is busy working me on a series, okay? Just be with me here. When He saved you, He dealt with your justification. 1 John chapter 1 verse 8. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Done. A lot of people in the church still sit at that point. But then the verse goes on to say, and He will cleanse you from your unrighteousness. That is sanctification. The things I used to do, I do them no more. It's not as if miraculous the Holy Spirit is going to come and say, whoop, take you out of this and I'm going to plant you down here. No, no. You need to by yourself in the sanctification state start walking with the Holy Spirit to walk into the new man. Whew. I think I need to keep on preaching for another hour. But you need to understand this. Because this is the crux of this whole thing here. Here is, here is this man. Here is Cornelius. He's living in the old nature. And it's shining so bright. But he's lost. He needs to be saved. And this is why the angel comes to, to Peter and he says, You are needed to preach the gospel in Caesarea. You need to go to this man and you need to preach the gospel so that he can be justified. The works which he's doing now means nothing. He can give all his arms away. He can fear God as much as he wants. He can pray as much as he wants. It means donuts. It means nothing. He's lost. If he dies, he goes to hell. Listen, if you sit here today and you feel you're a good person and you say, but I haven't sinned, you need to get the realization of sin in your life so that you can be justified and then you will walk in sanctification to the point where you turn into the image of his son. I can't say it more and more clearly than that. The time for playing church is gone. The time for playing Christian and chichi-chichi here and there is gone. You need to come under the Spirit of God and stand under His conviction for your sin. And then you go into the newness of life. That is called sanctification and then follows glorification. Glorification is close. He's coming. Glorification is when He's coming and He takes you out of this body of sin. Paul says this. Paul says final words and then we'll pray. I promise you. I, I don't know. I can't make promises. <laughs> Paul says this. He says, O wretched man that I am. That's the present tense. This is Paul we're talking about. Paul has been justified. You can read all of the account of I believe he was sanctified, but he still calls for the glorification of the body. He says, wretched man that I am in the present age, who will save me from this body of sin? This is why sometimes the devil comes to you and he lies to you. You are still, you, 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 you are clean. You're in this process of being, um, coming into the righteousness of God. And then you still conduct something which you go, oh, I've done it again, Lord. Look at me. I'm, no, no. 
take that. Give it to the Holy Spirit and walk in His power and He will help you and cleanse you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for your word, which is sharper than a two-edged sword cut between bone and marrow, spirit and soul, and it is the discerner of the heart. Father, I pray this morning as you open up this word to us, we look at Cornelius, and so many times, Lord, I've just read over this, and it's just an old story, but it's not. It shows that we are not ashamed of the gospel of God, it's the power unto salvation. Father, we thank you for that in Jesus' name. I pray, Lord, that you will touch every hearer here today's heart. And as we continue now, Lord, that you will be with us in Jesus' name. And everybody say amen.